So let me ask you a question. Does it ever seem to you as if God might be off golfing or something? I mean, do you ever feel like the world around you is going to hell in a handbasket, that, that things just seem to be bad and getting progressively worse? I mean, like, like God doesn't seem to be doing much about the stuff that's going on. I mean, have you been to JC or Walmart this week? I think for those of us who are painfully honest, we would admit to having thoughts like this cross our minds from time to time. If God is good, why do things seem to be so bad and getting worse? One time Jesus was doing some public teaching and some Sadducees came to test him. Now, you need to know that the Sadducees were a little bit different from some of the other religious sects of the, of the time because they didn't believe in a resurrection from the dead. Their thinking was, when you died, you stayed dead. But what's really interesting about the question that they posed to Jesus is that it assumes a resurrection. Matthew chapter 22, uh, they ask Jesus this. It says, Teacher, Moses told us that if a man dies without having children, his brother must marry the widow and have children for him. Now, there were seven brothers among us. The first one married and died, and since he had no children, he left his wife to his brother. The same thing happened to the second and third brother, right on down to the seventh. Finally, the woman died. Now, then, at the resurrection, whose wife will she be of the seven, since all of them were married to her? Now, let's just, let's just stop right there. Let's just pause. Let's call a timeout. This has got to be the craziest question that anyone has ever asked in the history of the universe. I mean, let's just think about these guys. They have to be the most unlucky family that has ever lived. I mean, every single brother, all seven of them died. Are you kidding me? I mean, how hard was it to insure these people? I mean, and let's think about this woman, right? I mean, she has got to be at some point through this entire process thinking this charade has got to end. You'll be happy to know that Jesus rebuked the Sadducees, but he didn't chastise them for the craziness of this off-the-wall, ridiculous question. No, he rebuked them for something far more simple. Verse 29 says, Jesus replied, you are in error because you do not know the scriptures or the power of God. At the resurrection, people will neither marry nor be given in marriage. They will be like the angels heaven. We are in week number three of our Jesus Is series, and so far we've said that Jesus is challenging, that when Jesus shows up on the scene of our lives, we must choose to follow him, that his coming presents a moment of crisis for us that cannot be overlooked or ignored. Last week, Chris reminded us that Jesus is missional, that he was deliberate in what he did, that he made it a point to be around the people who needed him the most. Today, we're going to see that Jesus is biblically sound. He loved God's word. He knew it by heart, and he leaned on it throughout his life and ministry. Make no mistake, the Sadducees learned an important lesson on that particular day. They learned that you do not bring a knife to a gunfight, that you do not bring your tradition, your superstition, or some off-the-wall idea and try to wield it against the Word of God, because the Word of God will win every single time.
time. It has been said that other books have been given for our information, but the Bible has been given for our transformation. Throughout history, much has been said about God's Word. For example, missionary Elizabeth Elliot once said, I think of the Word of God as a straight edge, which shows us our own crookedness. We can't really tell how crooked our thinking is until we line it up with the straight edge of Scripture. You see, God's Word reveals our deepest needs. St. Augustine observed, I've read in Plato and in Cicero sayings that are very wise and very beautiful, but I've never read in either of them, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden. You see, God's word offers us a hope that cannot be found in any other place or in any other writing. The great reformer Martin Luther noted that the Bible is the cradle wherein Christ is laid. You see, God's word is the place where we come to know the real Jesus. God's word has a lot to say about itself. Psalm 19, verses 7 through 11 say, The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold sweeter than honey and drippings of honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned, and keeping them there is great reward. See, this brings me back to my initial question. If this is the case, that the scriptures are so powerful and so profitable, why do conditions around the world seem to be bad and getting worse? Soren Kierkegaard, the theologian and philosopher, said that the Bible is very easy to understand. But we Christians are a bunch of scheming swindlers. We pretend to be unable to understand it because we know very well that the minute we understand, we are obliged to act accordingly. It's on this idea that I'd like to camp for the remainder of our time together. You see, Jesus is biblically sound, but by all accounts... Most believers living today are not. A recent LifeWay research study found that 45% of those who regularly attend church read the Bible more than once a week. Over 40% of the people attending read their Bible occasionally, maybe once or twice a month. Almost one in five churchgoers say they never read the Bible. And when we go across the Atlantic Ocean over to Europe, the statistics are much worse. In Britain, 30% of parents don't know Adam and Eve, David and Goliath, or the Good Samaritan are accounts found in the Bible. According to this same article, 27% of these British adults think Superman is or might be a biblical story. 33% believe the same about Harry Potter, and more than half, 54%, believe the Hunger Games is or might be a story from the Bible. But the problem goes deeper than simply not knowing stories from the Bible. You see, our lack of biblical literacy has led us to a lack of sound biblical doctrine. That same 
Lifeway research study found that while 67% of Americans believe heaven is a real place, 45% believe there are many ways to get there, including one out of five Christians. More than half, 59% of Christians surveyed believe that the Holy Spirit is a force and not a personal being, in contrast to the biblical teaching on the Trinity, that God is three in person and one in being. How can the scriptures be powerful and profitable, and yet the world seem to be suffocating on secular superstitions? Well, to quote Jesus, because you do not know the scriptures or the power of God. We might revere the Bible, but by and large, we do not read the Bible. And because we don't read it, we have become a nation of biblical illiterates. Jesus explained it this way. He says in Mark chapter 4, beginning in verse 3, he says, Listen, a farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among the thorns which grew up and choked the plants so that they did not bear grain. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up and grew and produced a crop, some multiplying 30, some 60, some 100 times. Then Jesus said, whoever has ears to hear let them hear. This passage of scripture is familiar probably to many of us, but for those of us who don't recognize it, Jesus goes on to explain the parable's meaning just a few verses later. Verse 14, it says this, the farmer sows the word. Some people are like seed along the path where the word is sown. As soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes away the word that was sown in them. Others like seed sown on rocky places, hear the word and at once receive it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. Still others, like seed sown among the thorns, hear the word, but the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth and the desires for other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. Others, like seed sown on good soil, hear the word, accept it, and produce a crop some 30, some 60, some 100 times what was sown. See, this par parable is, is interesting. And like I said, many of us are probably familiar with it, but have any of us ever stopped to consider the math? See, we have the sidewalk, and we have the gravel, we have the thorn bushes, and then we have this good soil. You know what the math tells me? The math tells me that God is exceedingly generous and his word is incredibly powerful. Any farmer would tell you that planting a, a crop and then harvesting 30 or 60 or 100 times what you had sown is an amazing haul. The word is good, but the fact is our hearts are not. Three out of four of us have the opportunity to take in this powerful, life-changing, life-transforming word we waste it. A few weeks ago, uh, Amanda uh, ran by Culver's and she picked me up one of those four-piece chicken tender baskets. I love the four-piece chicken tender basket from Culver's. It's delicious. 
So she brings it home to me, and me and her and Judah are sitting down to eat, and she takes one of my chicken tenders, and she gives it to Judah. She cuts it up, uh, gives him a little piece of it, and leaves the rest of it on his tray. So while he's sitting there chewing, um, he, he chews for a second or two, and then you know what happens? Like, kids do this a lot, uh, but he took and he started to spit it all down his chest. Then, in one fluid motion, he takes the rest of the chicken tender that's on his tray and he flings it off into the floor where the dog was waiting as excited as can be. Now, you are probably a better person than me. I'll just say that right here, right off the bat, so there's no mistake in it. Um, But I looked at my kid like he had three heads, okay? I mean, he did just take 25% of my chicken and throw it on the floor. He took 25% of my good, delicious chicken, and he wasted it. But what's really interesting is, as upset as I was at my two-year-old, the statistics in Jesus' story are like almost exactly the opposite. You see, in Jesus' parable, the numbers are reversed. God's powerful word is consumed a mere 25% of the time. That means that three out of four opportunities are wasted. Not because it isn't good, not because it's not valuable, but because we really don't want it. God sows generously anyway. Even though it's going to be wasted, he sows generously. Al Mohler recently said that pastors and churches too busy or too distracted to make biblical knowledge a central aim of ministry will produce believers who simply do not know enough to be faithful disciples. Here's the thing. This is where the rubber meets the road. I want to be a disciple who makes disciples who makes disciples. I want that for our church. I want us to be disciples who make disciples who make disciples. But let's be honest with one another. We can unpack the deep and beautiful mysteries of the scriptures here on Sunday mornings in this room, but if we fail to develop the habit of digesting God's word the other six days of the week, we will be spiritually dead before Easter. Remember what Jesus said. He said, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Now, do you remember where Jesus heard that? The thing is, Jesus didn't just hear it. He read that in Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3. Do you remember why he said it? Jesus said that because he was in the middle of being tempted by the father of lies, the devil himself. Now let's be direct with one another. Not a single person watching this message eats food once a week. How could any of us be so foolish as to believe that we could eat bread or pizza or donuts more often than we consume the words of God and not end up spiritually scrawny or theologically gaunt. Jesus is biblically sound. And if we are to be as well, we must develop the habit of being in his word every single day. A few weeks back, I mentioned a couple of projects that were in the works kind of behind the scenes that I was really looking forward to sharing with you. The first project is something that is primarily for our uh, teenagers. It's called the Deeper Life Project. We started DLP uh, more than 10 years ago for the purpose of developing habits in students that would make them better followers, better disciples of Jesus. There are several facets of the project, watching sermons, reading books, performing service projects, regularly attending worship services, 
I, I could go on, but the most important or meaningful aspect of the Deeper Life Project for me was the reading of the scriptures. This year, the project will run from April through September, and students who participate will read 177 chapters in 42 books of the Bible, including every book of the New Testament. Now, make no mistake, the project is not easy. It takes intentionality. It takes commitment. And that's exactly where you come in. No one is more responsible for the maturation of a student's faith than his or her parents. How, now think about this with me. How much could their faith grow over the next several months if they decided to do the project and you were there to walk alongside them every step of the way. To celebrate, those who complete the project go on a trip to the beach over fall break. And let's be, like, make no mistake, we always have an amazing time. It's awesome. The, the project only costs something like $60, and uh, there's going to be a, an informational meeting about the project on April 5th right here at the church in the Yak following the second service. The, the other project that I'm really excited to, to mention to you guys this morning uh, is something we've been working on behind the scenes and will launch in September. It's called Grow You. And Grow You is for anyone who isn't satisfied with what they know about the Bible or about the Christian faith. Grow You is going to consist primarily of online classes, though there will be a few classes offered here at the church. And we're going to focus on three specific areas. One, Christian disciplines. Christian beliefs, and then finally, the Christian scriptures. Now, the reason that we're doing Grow You Online is so that you can study at a pace that you're comfortable with, and no one will ever need to be tied down to a specific place at a specific time the way that you would be with a traditional class. You can study and you can learn at a pace that works best for you and at times during the week that fit into the crazy schedules that many of us have. Grow You participants will have the option of taking a class that interests them, kind of a la carte style, where they will have access to the video lectures for free, or you can formally sign up for the program for $35 and take a set of specific courses along with quizzes and required readings uh, for each class. And then when it's all said and done, you get a certificate once you've completed the program. Now, the reason I mentioned these projects is that I really believe that they will both help us be better disciples, that they'll help us be more biblically sound. D.L. Moody once said, where one man reads the Bible, a hundred read you and me. If the world seems to be going from bad to worse, it's in large part due to the fact that too many Christians do not know God's word. Fact is, I, I want to be the good soil that Jesus talked about, that receives the word and produces a, a, a crop that's 30 or 60 or 100 times what's sown. That's what I want for my life, and that's what I want for yours. Anatoly Sharansky, a dissident Jew living in Soviet Russia, kissed his wife goodbye as she departed the communist nation for freedom in Israel. His parting words to her were, I'll see you soon in Jerusalem. But Anatoly was detained and finally imprisoned. Their reunion in Jerusalem would not only be postponed, it might never occur. During 
long years in Russian prisons and work camps, Anatoly was stripped of his personal belongings. His only possession was a miniature copy of the book of Psalms. Once during his imprisonment, his refusal to release the scriptures to the authorities cost him 130 days in solitary confinement. Finally, 12 years after parting with his wife, he was offered his freedom. In February of 1986, as the world watched, Sharansky was allowed to walk away from the Russian guards toward those who would take him to Jerusalem. But in the final moments of his captivity, the guards again tried to confiscate the book of Psalms. Anatoly threw himself face down in the snow and refused to walk on to freedom without the words that had kept him alive during his imprisonment. He would go no further without the words of God. The question that I want to leave us with this morning is, how far are we willing to go without God's word? How many days are we willing to let pass? How many miles are we willing to travel? How many meals are we willing to digest? How many hours of TV are we willing to let wash over us without feasting on God's word? Anatoly was willing to risk being thrown back into some hellish prison because his answer to that question was zero. He was willing to go zero more days, zero more steps. What about us? How far are we willing to go? James put it this way in James chapter 1 verse 21. He says, therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your soul. Jesus is biblically sound. The question is, will we be? I'm going to pray. And uh, as we pray, I just would encourage you, wherever you're watching from, to right there in, in your spirit, pray alongside with me and ask God how you can develop the habit of feasting on his word. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it's powerful, that it has the ability to transform us from the inside out. And Father, we just ask that you make us fruitful. Help us to fall more in love with your word. Father, you are so good, and we thank you for pursuing us. We love you, and we pray all these things in Jesus' name.